Welcome back to the Admissions Uncovered podcast. It's the College Admissions podcast for the students, by the students. Um, my name's Michael. I'm, as usual, joined by Sean. And today we have a third co-host. His name is Mark. We also know him from Reddit, um, but this time r slash applying to college and r slash chance me. He's a uh, scholar grade on, on Reddit, so you might see him from there. But he's on the podcast today, and all three of us are going to talk about chance me's. And I feel like if you've ever gone to r slash applying to college, college confidential, on, on any online thing about college admissions with high school students, you're going to see people basically putting their entire resumes and life stories on there and asking the internet if they think they'll get into the schools they want to or not. And so we're going to talk about whether that's good or bad, whether you should believe them or not, and, and also get into some specific examples. But, but first, Mark, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast. Oh, yeah, it's a pleasure. And I know you have your own admissions counseling service, Better College Apps. Um, where can people yeah. find you there? Sure. So the website is www.bettercollegeapps.com. It's a college admissions consulting company that my wife and I founded uh, and run together. We reviewed applications for, for our alma mater for three years uh, and then decided to start the company together. So it's been, it's been a really fun ride together so far, and um, we're, we're excited to, to get into another season. So with that being said, the ChanceMe community, what I've dug from previous posts on the ChanceMe community, I've asked for volunteers from the site to post their chance means for us to review today. And so today we have about six or so cases that we want to review. And don't worry, not all of them are 15, 40 plus, 35 plus international math Olympiad winners. I've chosen a diverse six cases for us to review. First of all, the premise of chance means is for those of our listeners who don't know what it is, there's an online forum on Reddit that has people post these short posts about themselves, which with their unweighted GPA, their stats, extracurriculars, all of that. And what they want is to ask other users to give them their chances on certain schools that they're planning to apply to. Obviously, you know, if you're hearing this, you're going to be asking who's going to be chancing other people. And the main answer is other high schoolers on this site mostly. And that's actually one of the reasons why we're doing this Chance Me episode today. So in this episode, we have three different conflicting opinions, one from a high schooler, a college student, and as we said before, a verified admissions counselor. And the reason why we have these three opinions is to present a diverse array of opinions so we can actually, you know, see what are the common misconceptions and chance me's and what do the general high school population think of each other's chance me's. So uh, let's take a look at case one. Our case one has a white female from California who will not likely be getting any financial aid and her stats are a GPA unweighted of about 3.5 with a strong upward trend and her ACT is 31 and she looks to be uh, having taken a strong course load. What are your guys' thoughts on this initially? So looking through this, this profile, I think uh, being from California and applying to some of those California schools uh, probably helps her case. I think the, you know, she lists some extenuating circumstances during the first two years of high school where she got a 3.0 freshman year and a 3.3 sophomore year, and then kind of much higher GPA, 4.3 as a junior. That's going to carry a little bit of weight, especially, you know, she lists um University of California, Santa Barbara, I guess, UCSD, one of her schools. And the University of California system heavily discounts your freshman year grades. That's going to help her a lot. But at the same time, 
there's there's varying degrees of extenuating circumstances that that are going to matter. Like sometimes you present extenuating circumstances as a reason why your GPA isn't higher and it really falls flat. Other times you present extenuating circumstances and the admissions office is pretty understanding and receptive to it. And really that's a case by case thing. So without knowing more about it, it's really hard to say which way that's going to go. Also, the list of of APs taken is uh, psychology, literature, environmental science, European history, and government slash econ. That's not a super strong set of APs because there's no there's no hard science, there's no math, there's really only one English class in there. So it feels a little bit like, especially the, the University of California system puts a heavy emphasis on your transcript and the courses that you've taken. So it feels a little bit like that might that might hurt a little. But again. Her major is, you know, journalism or English or international relations, so it may not be that critical. The science and math is is a little on the lighter side. And, you know, I think on the, you know, academic side of it, one thing that to me matters a lot is making sure that it fits the type of major you're getting into. And if she's really just interested in journalism or English, then I think it's fine not to have an AP calc, for instance. She does have right. science. I, I have thoughts about whether environmental science is a real science class or not, um, but it is called environmental science. I I do think, though, that the sticking point for this applicant is, is going to be how she explains the extenuating circumstances, if that's yep. strategy. Um, because I have helped people write essays where they want to talk about how they had a bad teacher freshman year and it was tough. And and that's both not a compelling essay because it doesn't really tell admissions officers about you. And it's also just kind of a lame excuse, right? Like, right. oh, my teacher didn't do such a good job. That's, that just yeah. sound very interesting. Uh, but of course, they didn't give details, so it could be something very, very compelling as well. Right, so let's take a look at the schools and their extracurriculars. So as a reminder, this profile will be included in the show notes in the podcasting description. But this applicant is applying to UVM, Boston University, Northeastern, Cal Poly, SLO, and UCSB. And her extracurriculars, I'll briefly run over them. She has had writing pieces published in literary, literary anthology journals, due to a writing workshop that she attended by a local college. She has participated in varsity track and field for two years. She has over 200 years of volunteer hours at a library. She is a tobacco peer use educator. Uh, She has had a job at a fast food place for a year, an internship at a writing camp, and she has attended a program where teenagers speak with Holocaust survivors. As regards to school activities, she is the president of her school's book club, one possible correction, it said over 200 years of volunteer hours at the library, and I'm going to guess that's <laughs> hours. Yeah, that would be quite a resume. I would, I would let The most out. prolific applicant ever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, I think there's some things I like out of this, which is that it demonstrates the interest in English and journalism. Right? Absolutely. There's a technology thing, um, there's a book club happening. Um, writing camp, library even. I also, I, I'm also very, very curious about this, talking to Holocaust survivors, um, because the type of reporting and, and recording of history, I feel like you can have really strong tie, tie-ins to journalism, 
you know, have a nice takeaway about the power of journalism and, and the power of storytelling in terms of, you know, changing whatever, like the political consciousness of a country, if you want to go real big. Um, but there seems to be really clear tie-ins with the, the major she's interested in, which I, I always think mm-hmm. is a really important thing to have. Yeah, almost more important than that. Uh, and this is something I talk about with my clients all the time, is having a theme or an arc that ties your application together. Uh, because students who fill out an application and basically just say, oh, here's this question it's asking what my awards are, I'll list those. And this is asking about my involvement, I'll just list that. And here it's asking me a specific question in this essay prompt, I'll just come up with an answer that I think exactly. fits that prompt. If you're not strategic about it and connecting it together, it just seems disconnected. And so when a reviewer sees it, they aren't able to form a complete picture of who the student is and sort of fall in love with them or advocate for them. Uh, it makes a lot more compelling application if you are able to show, you know, kind of a a consistent theme that that makes you stand out a little better. And one of the biggest reasons for this is that most colleges have sort of a multi-step admissions review where one or two or three admissions officers will review an application by themselves first and put together some notes and then it'll go to committee and it gets presented to the committee. And that committee could be three people, it could be 40 people, but the admissions officer who read the file will usually present it in two to three minutes. If you make that job easy, they're gonna, what's gonna be the two to three minute distilled version of your application? It can really stand out. So in this case, the two to three minute distilled version is, you know, here's a student who's really interested in English or journalism or international relations. She has, you know, some really nice volunteer activities. She's done uh, an internship at a writing camp. Uh, she's done some history projects, the president of the book club. Like there's a lot of stuff that ties all of that together. And so the admissions officer who's presenting that would have a lot of things to draw from to present that theme, uh, even without the student expressly trying to craft that. So that's, that's something that can really help, especially if the college is looking for people to fill out their journalism or English uh, major. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that could, could definitely go in her favor. Yeah. Longtime listeners have heard me use the word narrative over and over again. I, I think I use it for yeah. the episode because I just think it's so true. Yeah. I've, I've worked with, and I'm sure you have too, Mark. I'm sure you know a lot of these people, Sean, like a lot of high school students who just do a lot of stuff. Right. And I was one of them. I, I did debate. I did some volunteer stuff. I did ACDEC for like two years. I did some math stuff in freshman year. It just was very disjointed. Just me telling that list of activities is very confusing. You know, Mark, you know, when you get in front of that committee and when you're trying to summarize things, if the person advocating for me just said that list, everybody would look around and say, this is another kid who has no idea what they're doing. Exactly. Um, Whereas what you actually want to happen is, is have that admissions counselor get upset, get up there and say, you know, Michael is an X type of person. He is interested in X because, and that's when they talk about those examples. So having some type of narrative, you know, Mark used the word arc, that doesn't just make it cohere. It organizes it in a way that sounds clean and organized and and really coherent rather than just like a list of random things a high schooler could have done. One other quick point on that is that a long time ago, you know, perhaps 15 years ago, there was uh, advice that was thrown around in in college admissions that you need to be well-rounded. And while that's certainly true, they want people who can talk to people outside their major and, you know, interact with other students no matter where they find them on campus. Colleges really want more of a well-rounded student body than they do well-rounded individuals. So they're way more likely to pick 2,000 experts in a niche field and have a whole bunch of different fields with a, a whole bunch of different experts 
than they are to have 2,000 people who are slightly above average at everything they do. And so you can fit a little more of what the college is looking for by presenting yourself as a specialist in your niche, as opposed to a Renaissance man who can kind of handle any task with mediocrity. So in this university, in this specific chance me actually, uh, just a bit of last information, this applicant is a double legacy at Boston University, but I'm not sure how much that matters for Boston University specifically. But what do we think about this applicant's chances to UVM, Boston University, Northeastern, Holy Slow, and UCSB? There's kind of some major caveats that you need to throw out before you do a chance me. Um, the first one is that we don't know everything. We haven't seen letters of recommendation. We haven't read the essays. We haven't done an interview or seen interview notes. And so there's some, some pieces that are missing and they could be relatively significant, especially in this case where the student has extenuating circumstances that they want to, to talk about. And then another factor is that we don't know what the college application pool looks like at any of these colleges. And you know, some colleges can change a lot from year to year. Uh, what they're looking for, especially within a given niche. So, you know, let's say last year, Boston University had tons of people applying for their English or, or uh, international relations or journalism schools. If they had a higher applicant volume or higher applicant quality, that might make it harder last year than it might be this year. And, and you don't really know that uh, unless you're on the inside. And then another big factor is that different reviewers are going to see things a little bit differently. And I've actually experienced this with um, both with reviewing applications with my wife and with other people at our alma mater. You know, we would score things on a, on a scale of, let's say, one through seven. And it was not uncommon for people to have differing scores, even scores that varied by two points. Like someone might say, oh, this is a three, it's slightly below average. And somebody else would say it was a five and was slightly above average. So, there is definitely some randomness to it or, or luck of the draw as far as whether the person reviewing the application sort of identifies with the information in there and, and it resonates or not. And you really have no way to predict whether that's going to happen or not. That said, I would say uh, UVM is probably is probably a good, there's pretty good chances there. Boston University it may depend on how they view those extenuating circumstances and the double legacy you know, with high income and double legacy, that kind of can prick up ears in the admissions office because they'll see the potential for a valuable alumnus, if that makes sense. Colleges absolutely do take into account the ability of applicants to pay and what it's going to do for their, for their alumni base and their endowment going forward. All colleges don't think about it that way, but, but Boston University is, is not on the list of, of those that that don't. Northeastern, Northeastern is a really interesting one because five years ago, I probably would have called this applicant a slam dunk to get in there, but not really anymore. Uh, it's one that has really shot up in terms of how challenging it is and how competitive it is. Uh, so it really would depend again on, on how they read the application. What do they see in those extenuating circumstances? And then I actually don't love the students' chances at UCSB unless they are willing to really focus in on that intended major. As I mentioned before, the UCs put a lot of focus on the transcript and, and course rigor. And without seeing you know, the hard science, I think, um, Michael, you alluded to environmental science being sort of like science light. And colleges tend to see it that way too. Like they have their you know, AP Physics, AP Bio, AP Chem. Right. And then they kind of put environmental science like a tier below those. So 
I would say UCSB is maybe a, a is maybe a bit of a reach, but still possible. Again, depending on how they interpret it. I won't speak on the California schools. I just don't think I know enough about them. I I do have thoughts about Boston University and Northeastern, since I think those were be the kind of like toughest schools for her to get into. And you know, to echo your point, Mark, it's really about the essays. For this applicant, I'm just very curious about how the es essays turn out. So, quote, when I was in a boat crash, it centered around privilege and journalism. And I'm very curious about how that actually looks like um, because it's an interesting connection, I feel like, between a boat crash and journalism and, and, and maybe even privilege. Um, maybe the boat and the privilege comes together, but then I'm curious about how the journalism thing weaves in. Um, especially since if this is her pitch for the essay, the journalism really needs to come out because that's the shtick going in, right? The shtick is that mm -hmm. there's so many activities that's connected to journalism and the essay needs to bring that home. Why are you interested in journalism? That's what the essay needs to answer because the kind of like pure numbers part of it and the pure academic part of it aren't stellar. So it needs to be the, the essays and, and the real focus on journalism that brings the difference. So I don't know. I really don't know because it's going to depend on the execution of that essay. Well, it definitely sounds good. And that's definitely something we're going to be seeing with our next case, actually. So case two is a more... It's an applicant that's applying to a slew, I guess you could call it more competitive universities. He is a white male from an underrepresented state from a competitive private school. He has a 1570 SAT, uh, relatively perfect subject test scores, uh, 4.0 unweighted, 4.7 weighted, has a strong course load. Just glance over his extracurriculars also. He is a co-founder of a nonprofit organization, which actually has results and definitely, as I see, is not a bogus organization because it has about 10 tutors. He has an art extracurricular, which he does personal art pieces for about 10 hours a week, and he wins a lot of awards through various competitions through that. He is in the math club at school and the science bowl, where he does relatively well in uh, the school competitions. He has a summer job assisting a class teaching kids computer skills and a graphic design job as well, working on flyers. He has taken a few online courses in computer science. So what do we think of this applicant? So right off the bat, I think about that word narrative because I don't clearly see it here. That list of extracurricular activities to me sounded a little bit random. Definitely some underlying, there's definitely a lot of stuff related to the sciencey, STEMI types of things, uh, but then you throw in the art and the graphic design there and that's definitely not a bad thing and if this is a person who like genuinely is interested in both things it's amazing that he's been able to pursue both of them to really amazing degrees right the art he's been in exhibitions that's awesome sold commissioned work i know a lot of people who would die to do that um but in terms of the college application it can feel a little bit confusing so i think my conclusion on this one is going to be i'm just not sure until i hear him or her explain why uh -huh interested in all these things. Um, part, of, part of my process for thinking through essays with, with my students and, and their narratives is just constantly asking them the why. Like, why do you do this tutoring thing? Like, what makes you interested in art? I ask them about connections, right? So, so do you use some of the skills you, you do with art in computer science? I think that might be an interesting connection to make that might form the basis for some arc or narrative. But for this one, I'm just really curious what that underlying connection is, because if it isn't there, I think then this applicant is in trouble. Yeah, I, I would be inclined to agree. 
but I think that the applicant may have some control over that. Like, For sure, yeah. With just a little bit of coaching, this student could put together a really compelling arc and a really compelling narrative and say, you know, this is kind of the track that I'm on and what I've done to pursue it and why I'm pursuing it. And these things might look different, but there's the same motivation pushing me to them. And in that case, it could be very strong. You know, the first thing that I think that jumps out at me looking at this is at top schools, there is a necessity that everyone who is admitted can make the grade academically. Those schools really don't like admitting students who will fail out. And that's not a super high bar to clear. And this student clearly passes it with flying colors, but it's very important to have that. So showing the, the list of rigorous courses, the perfect GPA, the perfect subject test scores, the nearly perfect SAT, the student is, is clearly a slam dunk in, in that category. But that's sort of minimally qualifying. That's not sufficient. And that's one of the things people get wrong on chance meets all the time is they'll say, oh, well, the GPA and SAT were a little bit on the lower side. The student doesn't have a chance. But maybe they did something really incredible. Or maybe there's a reason why the statistics are what they are. For example, one story that I read, there was a student who was applying to Northwestern, which is a really selective college with a 2.0 unweighted GPA. Now, what would you say the student's chances of admission are? I'm a little bit concerned about probably, no GPA. <laughs> exactly. Like, probably not a right. chance at all. Right. However, I read the student's profile. I think that student probably had a 95-plus percent chance of getting it. Now, that sounds really weird. But if you explain that the student had uncovered a, call it, abuse ring in their oh school uh, and blown the whistle on it, and the administration had tried to cover it up and proceeded to retaliate against the student, causing him to transfer schools and then go public to his country's journalism, like real journalists, and write up some stories about it and get published and then win two awards from his, from his country's government for it and then have a 4.0 after transferring. All of a sudden, you're like, man, what journalism school? And he wants to major in journalism. What oh journalism school wouldn't admit this guy? He's basically right on the border of a Pulitzer Prize without even having gone to college. That's amazing. Um, right. And so it is possible for stuff to get lost in translation. When I read that, that story, there were comments that were saying 2.0 GPA is unforgivable. You're never getting in. Doesn't matter what you say. And like that was, I mean, the students applying this year, but the, to me, that's patently false. Any admissions officer worth their salt is going to see that there's a story here and that the context is critically important. So that's one of the things that I think is really important is that admissions officers are trained in evaluating things in context. Kind of getting back to this particular application, um, you know, there is a little bit of context with being in an underrepresented state and a competitive private high school. Those things can both help. I think that having students who are well-rounded is important to colleges. It's just usually they aren't as at a premium as students who are sort of more specialized. So for this student, my advice, and again, like you said, reading through the essays might give you a little bit better picture, but my advice to this student would be to kind of pick some things to highlight and really focus in on. And you can list the other stuff. So if you want to go all in on STEM, maybe maybe play up the math club science bowl, uh, teaching computer skills and coding. You could tie that to the tutoring thing and then kind of paint the graphic design and art as like just another creative expression for you. Or if you wanted to focus in on art, you could kind of flip-flop those. But I would say that it's probably more compelling if you pick one or the other and really build a narrative, like you said. But I, I just I just want to emphasize that I, I think you can pick STEM and 
also really focusing on art too. Like I, I think they're really absolutely. I mean, I don't know if they're clear to this applicant or this applicant will buy what I'm saying, but to me, there's something between art and computer science that you can call like computer science is art or parts of art are about computer science. There's a lot of research in computer science about like aesthetics and, and computer generated graphics, graphic design for video games and other things that use coding is, is clear. I, I think the point though is, is, and I think we would agree on this, Mark, is just to have like a central theme and come back to that theme. And so if the theme happens to be something about computer science, well, what about computer science? Why are you doing computer science? Mm -hmm. So maybe he says, mm -hmm. computer science is my form of creative expression. Okay, well, that explains the art part of it as well. Um, so, so I don't think it's an either or choice. I think it's a pick a baseline and then come back to that baseline theme with everything. So as a reference to our listeners, this applicant is applying to MIT, Caltech, Stanford, Harvard, Mudd, and Cornell. And obviously, nobody can predict the, the chances to get into these schools because the admissions rate makes it almost impossible to predict, along with the fact that, of course, we don't know their essays and their letters of recommendation. But we can all definitely agree that this would be a good set of schools for the applicant to apply to. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, I think the student has, has, is, is well in the competitive range. You know, on, on schools like this with, with sort of the, the single-digit admission rates, um, you know, Edward Fisk, the, the, the author of the, uh, you know, Economist's Guide to Colleges, says that uh, he doesn't even like calling these schools reaches. He prefers to call them wild cards. And he says any school with less than a 20% admissions rate is a wild card. And the reason for that is he feels like you could think that you have everything right. And just because the person reviewing your application doesn't quite resonate with you, you know, it doesn't resonate with them, you know, you don't make it on. And, and sometimes something will be in your profile that, that really connects with somebody. And there's a lot of this that's extremely subjective, which again, I think is a reason, another reason that having a narrative can really help because it helps strengthen some of that subjectivity. But at the end of the day, this applicant would be would be a competitive applicant, and I would say just based on just based on what I've seen, Harvey Mudd and Cornell would probably have he, he would probably have pretty good chances of getting in. Uh, although Cornell CS can be can be extremely competitive, yeah. MIT, Caltech, and Stanford are kind of just up in the air. Who knows? I would also not venture a guess even on Cornell or, or Harvey Mudd, especially as a computer science major. I, I think that a lot of people miss that, I would call it like the human side of, of admissions because at the end of the day, it's, it's not an algorithm at the schools, especially these schools. Mm -hmm. It is a little bit at big public schools like UT. We actually did an episode on that a couple of weeks ago, but at schools like these, MIT, Caltech, Stanford, I don't know, like sometimes admissions officers form a human connection to these applicants and sometimes they don't they don't, you're in trouble. If they do, you're in better shape and good shape. So I, I would just not make any type of guess on this one. I, I think definitely competitive. I think definitely in the game, but to make any type of, yes, definitely going to get in or even above 50% chance of getting in, I would feel really, really uncomfortable, but at least a good base. One other thing I want to throw out here is that, you know, as we sort of mentioned, I think that this is a student who would be sort of an ideal case where, getting someone to help out with the application yeah. would be a really high value, whether that's just getting a, an English teacher to kind of 
help you, but even then you, you don't really have the experience. But get, getting someone who kind of knows how college admissions works just to point you in the right direction and say, hey, here's, here's you need to come up with a narrative. You need to, you know, have some essays that showcase who you are and, and your motivations for stuff. Um, that could make a really big difference for someone who is highly qualified, but possibly not extremely compelling otherwise. Yeah. And, you know, I think just having someone, whether I, I would say someone who's good at asking questions to me, mm-hmm. brainstorming particularly about that arc and that narrative is all about asking good questions, questions that relate, questions that probe and, and kind of prompt you to go deeper or at least give more details. I, I know a lot of people when I ask them just like, what do you enjoy doing? They kind of draw a blank. Um, and so from there, you got to get even more detail. Right? Like, what do you do on a Saturday? You do, you watch TV. How long have you watched it? Why do you watch that show or other shows? I definitely agree. I think having someone kind of guide you through brainstorming, I, I think is the most important part. Because then you can get your English yeah. essays, but, but brainstorming is, I think, the, the hardest pro- part of the process. And if yeah. you do it wrong, then, then, you know, it doesn't matter how great the word you use to end the paragraph is if the premise is, is not in good uh-huh. And with that, let's go to our case three, actually, who is aiming for a few less competitive universities, I would say. So our case three, our demographics are our first gen, for first generation applicant with about a middle class in- income. And their stats are they have a 1300 on their SAT 27 ACT. Their GPA is 4.2 weighted 3.8 unweighted. For their UC GPA, it's about 4.0 weighted 3.67 unweighted. They have a relatively strong course load. Their EC list comprises of being in a key club as a tech editor type of role. They are in the National Honor Society. They've done band. They've worked for a year or so. They've done a link crew for a year. And they've tutored and done some um, library volunteer work. So their target universities are CSUs, UCs, and definitely public schools on the West and East Coast, like U Michigan. So my first reaction here is that I think these are really good target schools for them. I think they mm-hmm. make a lot of sense in terms of schools that are pretty reasonable that they could get into. I think maybe a reach within the UC system would be Berkeley and UCLA, just because those are just yep. competitive for anybody, even if, and I think it seems like this person is from California. Very curious about these dual enrollment classes. They are taking a class called College Comp and or two classes, one that's college comp, that's just a writing class, but the other one that's human sexuality. And I'm curious how, if there's a way to, to tie that into the other activities. Another thing that I'm a little bit uh, concerned about for this applicant is some of these extracurricular activities. People would call some of these activities generic, key club, national honor society, mm-hmm. band. Um, and I don't think that's a bad thing. They're generic for a reason. Every school has them, which means they're the most accessible to the most amount of people. But again, what matters then, if, if you're going to have activities like these, is not just to say what band is, because everybody knows what band does. Not to say this is what I did with Key Club, because everybody knows Key Club is about volunteering. It's about why you did these things. So always, always for me, coming back to that question of the narrative, because I think that's what makes the difference between an applicant that might seem okay, like everybody has done National Honor Society and band, and is someone a little bit more special because they've given an answer to why they've done both of those things rather than just what they've done. Yeah, another point on that is that it doesn't look like the involvement has been sustained for very long. Like there's two years in Key Club, two years in National Honor Society, two years in band. And, you know, I don't know if those are including senior year or not, but if it's including senior year, 
that seems a little light. So I would say like, you know, University of Michigan out of state, that's a pretty big reach. But, you know, certainly the CSUs is, is probably a better fit. And then, you know, when they say maybe some private schools or some great public schools, that there's a wide range of those uh, that sure, I think yeah. would be good fits and some would be reaches and some would be safety. So I think this student definitely, you know, a lot of people would, would who are in the student's shoes might go to the Applying to College subreddit or Chance Me subreddit or College Confidential and start sharing some of this information. And immediately the guns would come out and people would shoot them down. And basically, you know, Chance Me would turn into Roast Me and they would basically just say like, oh, you're trash because you only have a 1300. But <laughs> the fact is that's still, you know, several standard deviations above the average score Absolutely. of like 1050. And there are many, many colleges that would love to have this student, including, I think, the CSUs and some of the great public and private schools in, in California. One thing that this chance me didn't indicate that I'm always curious about is what they're interested in doing in college and seeing a connection mm -hmm. between that and, and classes they've taken, special classes they've taken, like some of these dual, dual enrollment classes, and more importantly, some of the extracurriculars. So that's one thing I'm curious about that we just don't have, have the information information for. Um, but I think I, I'd be curious how she spins that story with whatever major they decide to go with, just because these extracurriculars really don't lean into a particular field or particular side mm -hmm. of the STEM versus humanities spectrum. So I'm, I'm just not sure and a little bit curious on that one. You know, we should look at another case while we're at this, who also has a 1300 SCP. But the main difference with our case four actually is that our case four is an international applicant. Just transitioning over to case four, here's a brief rundown. Our case four applicant is an international female from India who is applying for computer science with a 1300 SAT, and her GPA is about a 3.75 unweighted, the 770 SAT math to subject test score. Her TOEFL seems acceptable, and her main ECs, I'll run over them briefly. She is the president of her school computer and math club. She's done surveys in her local community about cybersecurity and menstrual hygiene. She's done multiple internships with startups on web design and other computer science related things. She's worked with three NGOs in her area to raise funds for education for kids, a lot of philanthropy causes. She's part of a child abuse, anti-child abuse committee, and she has ranked in her country fourth in her school for International Science Olympiad and second in her school for National Cyber Olympiad. And finally, in addition to that, in sports, she has done a lot of karate at the black belt level, and she is applying to Penn State University, Purdue, Texas A&M, UT Dallas, Virginia nice. Tech. Georgia State University, UNC Charlotte, UC Irvine, and University of Wisconsin-Madison. So what do we think of this applicant? The first thing I'm noticing is that international component to it. And part of being an international student for basically every single college that I have looked at for myself or with, with my students is pay. I have not seen a school that's need blind for international students, even the ones who are need blind for, for students in, in the United States. And so I think that's just a critical component to, to any type of international applicant. And it's awful to yeah. say that. It's awful to say that. I don't think it's fair, but I think it's just the truth of that, which is that if you're an international student who needs significant amounts of financial aid, it's, it's just really, really concerning. Um, and, and that's awful. Yeah. That's bad. But I think that's the reality. So there are five schools that are need blind for international students. Oh. Uh, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Amherst and maybe MIT. 
so they would be need blind and they guarantee 100% of, of financial need met. That being said, they tend to be extremely selective when it comes to international students. I think the admission rate to MIT for international students is about one-fifth of what it is for domestic students. And colleges, understandably, have to be careful admitting uh, too many students who are, uh, you know, zero ESC uh, so, sorry, that's zero expected family contribution. They're, they're not. They're not going to pay anything because that would be really, really expensive. Uh, mm -hmm. If you take if you take too many of them, colleges will do will still take them uh, and and offer some aid at certain points. You know, I've 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 had students work with me internationally who are applying for full aid, and I've had them get in places and get really generous aid packages. But it is relatively rare. And part of that is it's just so competitive. How many students around the globe would love to have a six-figure education for free? Basically all of them, right? So you can see why the demand is extremely high and the, the availability for it is extremely limited. Looking at this list of schools, I would say that the list of schools is pretty reasonable. And this student would be an outstanding student at all of these schools, with the possibility, with the possible exception of Purdue, if it, if, there, if it's engineering, Purdue engineering is computer engineering at Purdue would be a bit of a stretch. But all these other ones, I know University of Texas Dallas has a really strong focus on bringing in international students, and so mm -hmm. there's a real good chance that UT Dallas would would provide some aid. Wisconsin Madison, I think, also has a an international aid program. Yeah, I, I I'm actually originally from Dallas, so UTD was on, on, definitely on my list huge international population there. So definitely we'll have people with some similar backgrounds and common experiences, which I think is incredibly important for people's colleges experiences. And also definitely does have international, like aid to international students, I guess I should say. Um, but those tend to be more score heavy. I don't know the score that UTD, UTD or UT Dallas has, but I think a 1300 would be sufficient. What I do love about this applicant's extracurricular activities though, is, is I think a a real focus. I think there's a lot of stuff on computers, cybersecurity, coding. The the two things that are more, you know, social work, volunteer type, I think are really interesting, like menstrual health and menstrual hygiene in the context of India and Indian culture. I think there's a story to be told there. I am curious if there's a connection between the STEM side of things and, and the survey. I think there could be. The the use of tech within activism, the use of tech within mm -hmm. NGOs and, and the work NGOs do in terms of fundraising and, and keeping track of projects. I'm curious about that connection. I just I just want to ask all of these applicants more questions. This is basically the, the theme out of this. Yeah, one other thing that stands out to me on the list of activities is there's a ton of initiative here. Admissions officers don't particularly care what you do. They care a whole lot more about what it says about you. Like, right. why did you do this? How did you pursue it? Why is this a passion of yours? What did you do to take it to the next level? And if you look through this, there's a ton of next level ownership initiative just all throughout. Um, and that's going to that's gonna resonate. I think the previous case, case three, that student really could have been kind of a warm body in a chair for most of those meetings, right? Uh, whereas this student, and especially being from India, where extracurricular activities are not a, a focus, there's, there's no one pushing you and saying, oh, you need to be involved in XYZ. Whereas in the States, most teachers know that colleges are going to ask you what you're involved in, and so they're going to tell their kids, hey, make sure you get involved in something. So I think that, that seeing all of this, you can tell that the passion is there, the passion is real, and the student has taken initiative to own it and kind of uh, take it to the next level on her own. So that, that definitely stands out. This student, an international student, is obviously going to have a tougher time on the international stage, but I think their list of schools is generally appropriate. 
Alright, well that was it for part one of our Admissions Uncovered Chance Me episode with the admissions counselor u slash scholargrid on Reddit. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you understand more about the way admissions officers view profiles. And for our r slash chance me listeners, more about how to assess college applications. If you're interested with working with the u slash scholargrid, check him out at www.bettercollegeapps.com. And if you're a high school senior, check out an introspection worksheet for brainstorming from ScholarGrade in the show notes at admissionsuncovered.com, along with the Google Docs of the cases we reviewed. Our part two next time will cover three more cases, and we'll hope to see you in the next episode. If you're interested in submitting a chance me for the next time we do one of these episodes, message you slash Spellum on Reddit or email us at admissionsuncovered at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.